there. Welcome to Season 3 of the How to Make a Podcast podcast. My name is Casey Ruff from Boundless Body LLC, and I am the host of Boundless Body Radio. Join us this season as we chat with other successful podcasters to give you the best tips and tricks to create your own podcast that makes you proud to share with the world. Without further delay, enjoy today's episode. Barry from the Improving Barry podcast. How are you today? I'm very good, Casey. Uh, Thank you for having me. This is such a cool uh, podcast, the How to Make a Podcast podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I always kind of joke, it's like the inception of podcasts. It's a podcast within a podcast. A little little ridiculous, but that's okay. Kind of a funny thing. You're calling in from the Netherlands, uh, which is awesome. Max Verstappen just got done winning another Formula One race, which was really fun to watch. Um, What's the vibe of of the Netherlands now they have a superstar in Formula One? (laughs) I think in the beginning, it was more of a thing than now. So everybody was like, yay, we are back uh, on the world stage, basically. But now everybody got used to it. So uh, if he does well, everything is normal. That's baseline now. That's status quo. If he doesn't do well, then everybody's pissed off. <laughs> it's a big problem. So <laughs> went the other way. Wow. Yeah. Well, I was just listening to yeah. your last episode of the Improving Barry podcast with Stefan Van Vliet, who's up in Logan, Utah, which is actually about an hour and a half north of where I am. And you guys were talking really? back and forth. And I, I was wondering why in the introduction of your episode on Boundless Body Radio, Pluricite sounded so familiar to me. And then you mentioned it. That's just right down the road, man. That's in Draper, Utah. I drive by that building all the time. I grew up in Draper and now I live in South Jordan, which is really about a 10, 15 minute drive away from that building. Ah. Okay, excellent. Yeah, yeah. So Pluralsight is an e-learning company, and they now have their headquarters in Draper, which is like this awesome new shiny building filled with people that uh, do awesome work all day. And I do some consulting for them, creating uh, courses. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Are you so, still doing consulting with them? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm actually currently working on a course about uh, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So for absolute beginners, if you don't know anything about programming, that's the place to start. Yeah, that's I like to do that in my content. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Well, we're here to talk about your podcast and you've actually done two podcasts. Yeah. I believe your original podcast was called Developer Weekly. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So I started uh, another podcast, Developer Weekly, and that was uh, uh, just a podcast for 52 episodes. Exactly. <laughs> After a year, I was done with the topic, basically. Uh, for me, it wasn't interesting anymore. And so I moved on to my current podcast, The Improving Barry Podcast. Wow, interesting. Did you know going into that first original show that you were going to be done after a set number of episodes or a set amount of time? No, not at all. So um, like you uh, said already with Pluralsight, I make my money with uh, technology and software and talking about it and teaching about that. Uh, And so I know a lot of people in software as well, and I like to create uh, content for software developers and architects. And that was what this podcast was about. Uh, but very quickly, I found out that the specific technology topics that we were talking about in each episode were not that interesting to me per se. Maybe to the listener, they were. But to me, it was more about the story behind the tech. So the actual person that uh, did the thing that we were talking about that had invented uh, framework X or technology Y or something, and what that their journey was. I was way more interested in their personal journey. And so 
uh, I quickly came to the realization that I would run out of topics very quickly. <laughs> As in, f- for me, it wasn't interesting to talk about, you know, the next version of framework X, Y, or Z that we already had on the show. I like, yeah, I, I didn't really care about that. So interesting. Yeah. Uh, the value, yeah. The value was more uh, the people behind the tech. And therefore I thought, you know, this is not going to have the impact that I want and not in the way that this is not going to have the amount of people listening as an impact, but more impact on the world that I wanted to achieve with that podcast. And so I like to quit things when I know they are not adding anything anymore or not enough to the world instead of just grinding it out and just continue to uh, go on because I realize that my time is very finite and I need to spend it wisely. Sure. Did you ever consider changing developer weekly to cover more of the human side of things? Cause that's one thing you could have done is you could have simply adapted your yeah. original idea and changed it to be more about those developers and capturing those amazing stories. That might be an interesting thing too. Did you ever consider that? Yes, I did consider that, but the uh, people that I talk to within that context, so the developers that actually invent things, they are not really looking for that type of conversation. So they just want to talk about uh, their awesome new technology version, X, Y, and Z, and not really about their own personal story. You know, it's the type of person, they're often uh, a bit more shy as well, a bit more introverted, and they just don't like to talk about themselves or their personal story. So. I could have done that. And there are podcasts that actually do a very good job uh, with that, but that was not really uh, worth it for me. Yeah, I see. So interesting. So it sounds like passion is a big reason why you do things in life. And and you could kind of tell, I obviously haven't listened to every episode of Developer Weekly, but I have heard a few. And the tone of those conversations really changed from your original idea. You started sneaking in kind of a different topic. And you could tell, you know, in the interview that your wife did with you, which was really interesting, that, that this other whole topic of like health and fitness and wellness was really lighting you up at the time. And you could tell you were really passionate about it. Is this why you started the Improving Berry podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I've been interested in health and wellness, uh, as you uh, might say it, uh, for a very long time uh, to heal myself. And I'm just a very curious person. So I like to learn about the body that we walk around in and how that actually works. And I think everybody should do that. Um, and so I tend to dive deep in, into that topic uh, and it's just very interesting to me. There, there's so much to learn about health and wellness. Uh, and I like to share what I learn. And so already then I thought, hey, I have, I have a little platform here. Where people are listening to uh, something. So maybe I can sometimes tell something about those topics. For instance, burnout, for instance, it, is, it touches health and wellness, but it's also very applicable to people that are you know, working in jobs, developers, uh, people like that. So there was kind of a little crossover there into the world of health and wellness. Yeah. Yeah. Improving Barry is a great title for the podcast, by the way. I really like it. <laughs> Who came up with the title? Was that you? Yeah, I came up with the title uh, mostly because the premise is that you don't have to believe me. I'm not a doctor or anything. Uh, I'm just some guy that is uh, that likes uh, to learn about health and wellness. I know a bit. Uh, but I don't pretend to know uh, everything. And, and like I said, I'm not a doctor. So you don't have to listen to me. You don't have to believe me. You just listen to what the experts are saying. And I am just trying to improve myself. And so I think 
uh, that works for me. And that also translates to people that are listening or watching because then they can also improve themselves. It's kind of a, a bit of a movement, let's say, to improve ourselves. You know, you go on a journey with me to improve yourself, improving yeah. Barry. <laughs> I love it. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, health and wellness, as as most people know, there there's a lot of things that you could explore. Is there something you really kind of uh, wanted to focus on? Like were you focused a little bit more on nutrition or say different exercise modalities or was your idea to keep everything so general that pretty much you could talk about anything and it would fit inside the premise of the show? Yeah. So the latter, basically, uh, I want to be able to talk about anything, uh, also controversial topics. If, uh, if that comes up, uh, for instance, COVID for instance, or nutritional topics can be very controversial where people are very dogmatic about uh, certain diets. Uh, but I want to be able to talk about everything because Human health is a very broad topic. It goes from exercise to sleep, to nutrition, um, to toxins, to stress, to spirituality, you name it. There's so much to learn there, and I want to explore it all. But the goal is to make it so accessible that everybody can join and learn from this. So uh, I try to make it in such a way that, for instance, my parents could also easily consume this and take away some actionable things from each episode. So yes, then I will have experts on, like for instance, Stefan van Vliet, who is an extremely smart guy. But I try to uh, lead his story and ask him questions that result in uh, simple and actionable things that people can actually do. Uh, so I don't want to dumb it down, but I want to make it accessible. Uh, and I want to keep it broad as well. And so, you know, my interests, they range. Like right now, I'm very interested in cholesterol, for instance, uh, and uh, the carnivore diet. And is that a good thing for long term? You know, what about uh, fiber? What about phytonutrients from plants? You know, I know they're not essential. But what does that mean? Are they essential for long term? Things like that. So I try to talk to different people about that, and they have slightly different opinions. Uh, and factoids that they uh, get. And that, that forms my opinion as well. So I learn through those people and then my listeners can also learn through that. Uh, but it, it's little rabbit holes I go down, but I still try to keep it very broad. Mm. So when then somebody else comes on my path that has something very different to say, that still falls into the realm of health and wellness and not uh, completely... Uh, out of bounds in cuckoo land or very woo-woo, for instance. Sure. I will cover that, definitely. Wow. So you've already mentioned controversial topics, and nutrition is, mm. is a minefield, obviously. You know what it's like. To, <laughs> you know, for, for a carnivore yeah. to say that vegetables are actively bad for you, like that that's a pretty serious statement, and vice versa, you know, the vegan side, whatever. Have you had situations where you've had a guest come onto the show that you've had a difference of opinion <laughs> with, and, and how were you able to handle that so that the listener wasn't put in kind of like an awkward situation? Because that can be very awkward. Yes, it can be very awkward. And that's mostly uh, with nutrition, like you say, because everybody agrees on uh, you need uh, good sleep, for instance. Yes, you do need some exercise, uh, stuff like that. Yes, you don't need to be, you shouldn't be too stressed. But nutrition is very uh, dogmatic, like you say. And that is very difficult sometimes to uh, walk the thread of reasonability <laughs> with, with guests. So yes, I do disagree sometimes with guests. I do uh, then let guests uh, 
know, have their say. So do their story. Uh, let them tell their story about what they feel is best. For instance, a vegan diet or something, and why that then is is good. Uh, I then try to push back with the things that I know about something like that. So, for instance, a vegan diet. Uh, <clears throat> but it depends. So, if the guests then can also speak in a reasonable manner about that, and also, uh, you know, just have a have a good debate about it, an actual debate. With uh, with good arguments, definitely that's that's great. But I also had one time where you know uh, where then all the arguments just stop because no, it's just better. Period. That's the scientific uh, uh, consensus. So we're not going to talk about it anymore. And that's very difficult because the rest of the interview was great information, which if you then uh, have that little piece of content in there then that, that dismisses the rest of the information. So when listeners hear that, then they're like, oh, okay, well, this person is actually not very reasonable. So maybe all the other stuff that she or he said is also something that I should dismiss. It's very difficult. So then afterwards, I discussed uh, to cut that little piece out. And then, you know, we still then have a very valuable piece of content there. But it can be very tricky. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I do agree. You do such a good job as the host by asking very thoughtful questions. And and you mentioned something really interesting earlier where you're trying to lead a discussion and lead a story. So as you're preparing to talk to some of these people, some of your guests, how much planning are you doing before you head into this interview? How much research are you doing? And do you already have like a storyline in your mind of the direction you want to take the conversation? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely uh, prepare, of course. I look into uh, the person. Usually I do that uh, before I invite the person even uh, because I want to know if it's a good guest and uh, there's some value there. Uh, I try to procrastinate a bit with my uh, preparation so that I do it like right in front of the the interview. So the the day off, for instance, or just the day before so that it's very fresh in my mind as well. But I sometimes then I find, for instance, a podcast that this guest was already on or some videos or some content uh, that I read so that I can get a little bit of an idea of their story. Because lots of guests have their same talking points, you know. They, in all of the podcast appearances that they do, they have the exact same uh, stories, metaphors, and uh, talking points. And I want to try to get something extra out of there because you don't want to have like a, a copy of you know, something that they already said on another podcast that that doesn't add any value. Uh, So I try to do that with a story arc. I do that in all the content that I create, including courses, because you need a bit of a story. You know, if you don't, if you have just random questions that doesn't really uh, pique the interest or keep the interest of the, the listener, of the audience. So often these stories go that somebody, you know, was sick or interested in health they fix themselves <laughs> and now they know something about a very specific topic and they want to share that with the world. Mm. Uh, and so I try to do that hero's journey a little bit within the conversation. It's sometimes difficult to keep the guest to that story because, you know, sometimes you go into a rabbit hole or the person just doesn't want to talk about uh, something that you want to uh, talk about that fits in the story. So you have to be a bit flexible but I do try to create a little bit of that story arc and just write down some uh, preparation points. And usually that's enough. You know, it's just like, I don't know, four or five sentences 
that I just write down for myself and then I know enough. But some guests actually ask, well, what are you going to ask me? Give me all your all the points that you're going to, all the bullets that you're going to ask me so that I can prepare, which is fine. But usually I don't prepare that uh, thoroughly. So I roll with the punches and just follow the storyline basically yeah. with the background knowledge of the guests themselves. Yeah, that's so, yeah awesome. I, I do prepare, but yeah. Yeah. I used to do a lot more kind of pre-prepared questions and I would still be really free with the conversation and let it flow um, the way that it needed to flow. But I use pre-selected questions a lot less now than I used to in the past. Um, and, And I love your answer about trying to create really unique and special episodes. We tried to do the same thing and it was through learning that lesson the hard way, having a guest on and a well-respected, world-renowned guest in the carnivore world, Dr. Sean Baker. And after I finished oh, yeah. the episode with him, I realized like I I did a conversation with Sean Baker that he has done five times with other people today, let alone uh, you know uh, out uh, in uh, podcast world for the time that he's been podcasting. And so that was a hard lesson to learn. And it's, it's helped motivate me to go just a little bit further on the research side of things and try to discover something that's unique about the person so you're not just creating that same conversation that they've already done. And like you said, build value for the listener. I think that's very important. Yeah, that's and that's why we do this, right? To create value for the audience. If there's no value, nobody listens. If there's no value, uh, the whole podcast or content doesn't have any impact in the world. Yeah. So at least that's why I do this. I want to create some impact in the world that somebody listens to something to an expert that I interview and, you know, takes that home and, and does something with it and perhaps changes their health. Yeah. Then this is a great success if that works. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really strong reason why to do a podcast that will keep you motivated on the times when yeah. you're, you're spending your time and your money and your resources to produce the show, which is a lot. It takes a lot of work, but if you've got a really yeah. strong why, then you'll be able to continue doing it even when it's not so easy. So I absolutely love that. I'm curious, you kind of got into this podcast with a whole year's experience with your first podcast. What lessons did you take from podcast? podcasting the first time into podcasting the second time? And what things did you want to change about the two shows just besides the content? Yeah. So, uh, developer weekly was, uh, first of all, it was audio only. So only audio and now uh, improving various also video. I thought I figured <laughs> that video would be a very valuable addition to the content. Uh, first of all, for discoverability. So I put that on YouTube, um, which is fine. People can find it there. Uh, but it also just provides lots more context for people. Uh, because I found uh, also from feedback from people that uh, they all learn in different modalities. So some people like to listen just through the audio. That's fine. Other people like to read, actually. So like transcript, for instance, just scroll through it a little bit. They can do that fast and then they get the actual information. And some people like to just you know put on a video and go do something else in the background, for instance. So I provide now all of these modalities. So the audio, of course, there's a transcript on the website for all the things, and there's video as well. Uh, so that's uh, definitely a learning there. Um, I have learned to uh, schedule all my marketing now auto- automated. So I use uh, Hootsuite for that, which is a social media scheduling uh, thing. You just uh, say, all right, I want to uh, send a tweet at uh, 6 p.m., for instance, with this and this, uh, and the LinkedIn thing and uh, Instagram uh, thing. And then it does all of that, uh, you know, by itself. So 
when I create an episode or when I edit an episode, I just produce the whole content. I schedule all of the social media and I don't have to touch anything anymore. It just goes by itself, Done. publishes by itself. All the videos go out by itself. Yeah. Wow. Don't have to think about it anymore. So that's, that's yeah. yeah. What was the name of that marketing research? Learning. What was the name of that marketing the, website? That's a Hootsuite. Hootsuite. So H O O T Suite, wow. like uh, the owl Hootsuite. Yeah. Nice. yeah, that sounds really and, helpful. Yeah, that is uh, very helpful. <laughs> yes, it's it's just you know yes, it it still costs time and kind of the same amount of time than if you would just you know write a tweet right now and do this and do that. Uh, but now I just do it all in an hour and then I don't have to think about it anymore. And yeah. and that part is very valuable. So, you know, you fire and forget and you don't have to do anything anymore. Yep. I can just literally now step away for four weeks and this thing keeps on rolling. Yeah. So and that's great. That's so smart. A lot of people are a little bit um, kind of shocked when I tell them that after we finish a recording, that I'll have the episode done later that day. Within a few hours, I will have all the editing done. I will have all the scheduling done. I will have all the social media stuff done. I will send that all to my guest and tell them it's theirs and they can do whatever they like with it. But I'm the same way. Like I need to do all of that editing and processing and, and get all that done while the interview is fresh in my head. I found I have a much more difficult time if it's been several days or I've done, you know, more than one podcast and now they're getting jumbled up in my head. Mm. It just makes things a lot easier to kind of get it all done at one time. And then you're right. Like we're booked out five, six weeks of episode releases that are all set it and forget it. I've already taken care of everything. I've already put everything on YouTube with scheduled videos. Yeah. And so you don't need to worry yeah. about it after that's all been done. So I think that's an interesting way to do things. And I, I agree with you. I think the sooner you get it done, the better. And then you're right. Like you can take off and leave and the thing can kind of run itself and finding those systems to help you stay on track that way is so important. Are there any other like really important software um, components that you use that help you with your podcasting? Yeah, definitely. So uh, now with the video component, I had to find a different way to uh, record it. Uh, as I create online courses, uh, one of the things that I find extremely important is audio quality. Uh, so if you are listening to a podcast on Spotify or wherever, if the audio quality sucks, the whole thing sucks. It doesn't matter if the content is great. It just doesn't matter. Okay. Especially when you're out and about and there's like uh, ambient noise, there's traffic around you. If the audio quality sucks, it's very difficult to make out uh, voices and what people are saying. So that is very important. And now with the video as well. So I have experimented with a couple of uh, uh, recording platforms that do that well. Um, I tried riverside.fm for a while. Kind of great, glitchy, didn't really work for me. Mm. So, you know, I can't have that. It's a production software that can't be glitchy. has to be extremely reliable. So now I use Squadcast for my recording. So that records audio and video, and then it uploads it to the cloud. And then all those recordings, audio, video, and MP4s, separate tracks for all guests are available. Uh, I then download that stuff, and then I edit it in Descript, which is absolutely amazing. Game changer for me. First time that I used it with this uh, podcast, uh, I usually, when I edit videos for courses, for instance, I used to do that in Camtasia, sometimes in uh, uh, Adobe uh, Premiere Pro, which is just classic. You know, you have a timeline and you start editing uh, that type of stuff. With the Developer Weekly podcast, I did that with uh, Adobe, uh, what's it called? Audition. I think so. Yeah, audition. 
Yeah. So the audio version, same thing. You have a timeline. You can do some enhancements and stuff. Uh, but this thing, Descript, is such a game changer, especially when you're doing video. So when I then have my MP4 file, which is a video file, including the audio, I just stick that in there and it just trans transcribes all the text. And I say, all right, this was Casey and this was me. Okay. I get the whole text in front of me. It does, uh, it applies studio sound, which means it levels the audio to minus uh, 16 uh, LU uh, FS. So it's loud enough. It does uh, some noise canceling. It does some filtering. It sounds beautiful, even if somebody had a crappy microphone or something. So that's great. And then I have the whole text. And then I can very easily also say, all right, now change the camera automatically when somebody speaks. And that's just amazing. So, you, you know, you see then me now in this case. And then when you start to speak, you see your camera, which is great. And then I go through all the text to correct any uh, transcription mistakes there. Uh, and to do outtakes, you know, an interesting piece that somebody said, I just copy that. Uh, paste it uh, to another composition and then create a little social media promo thing from it. And that's it. Then I say, all right, export to YouTube, export it as a MP3 file, and then I can start uploading it. So the end result is immediately I have a complete transcript of the whole thing. I have my audio, I have my video. And it's super easy because you edit in the text and not in a timeline anymore. You just edit the text. If you say, all right, you say an, um, mm, uh, mm, mm, a lot, then just you know cut that piece of text out and immediately the associated video and audio is also cut out. It's just so amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It looks super yeah. cool. I've never used it, but it looks super cool. Is it expensive? Oh, that's a good question, actually. It, it's not for free. I think, let me just take a... It is uh, like 288 uh, US dollars for uh, a year's worth. And then you get all the features, including uh, overdub, which is when you have uh, recorded your own voice, you can send that to them. They train an artificial voice with your own voice. And then you can just start typing and your voice actually says that, which is great for online courses and stuff, for instance. Wow. So for, for me, that's very valuable. Yeah. Yeah. No, I pay about that much for my editing software in a year and I do it knowing that there's three ways to do it, but this has enhanced features that I, I enjoy. I really love it. It gives me transcriptions and it makes the editing process really easy yeah. for me. So I think, I think if you have, again, if you've got a strong why on your episodes, and you really care about the quality and the sound quality, and you don't want to spend hours and hours in audacity trying to learn how to edit all these things, finding tools like that, that can save time, I think is worth the exchange of money to pay for. And I think more people should look at tools like Descript. Um, and, and again, I haven't used it, but it sure looks like an amazing tool. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, of course, it's dual uh, purpose as well, because I can also use that for my uh, online courses that I create. Uh, but still, you know, if you look at um, all of this stuff costs money. Also my microphone, I now have a Rode, uh, Rodecaster Pro as my audio interface. You know, I love that type of stuff. I'm a bit of an audio geek. Uh, it all costs money. And this podcast is not making any money. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, a hobby thing. However, I feel like if I keep creating valuable content, 
money will come. Yeah. I have plans for monetization and not with ads and stuff, but it will come. Yeah. So I love that. I'm not worried at all. Yeah, I love that. I feel the same way about our show, Boundless Body Radio. I decided very early on, no matter how popular it got, I really didn't want to monetize it with commercials and with you know mm. sponsorship. And now we're we're having people reach out and offer to sponsor our show. And I'm just I I would rather keep it for free and find other ways to monetize it, which I've been playing around with different options there. Um, I was going to ask you next about hardware, so that's fantastic. Let's talk about the Rodecaster. You said you use the Rodecaster Pro mixer. Is that correct? Yeah, I have. Uh, so this thing right here, the, the microphone for people that are listening, is a, a Shure SM7B. Okay. So the uh, the standard thing, basically. I love that thing because it gives me very boomy voice. That sounds really uh, good. And it's it's very close. Uh, so you know, if I go a bit further, you hear immediately that it tapers off very quickly. So it doesn't catch that much environment uh, noise, which is very uh, important to me. And then as an audio interface, I tried many, many different things. And now I have this Rodecaster Pro 2, which is kind of overkill for one mic. (laughs) But, um, you know, it's great. And it does so much because that thing does uh, software audio processing and hardware audio processing live. So I feed it through the mic into that thing. And that thing does denoise, for instance. It does uh, it get rid of, gets rid of most of my mouth noises uh, that I'm definitely making, but you're hearing less of it because it gets filtered out live here. And I can also take it on the road, uh, put a, a SD card in it, and then just record from there with multiple microphones, which I'm definitely planning to do on some uh, health conferences as well. well. That's great. So so far, extremely happy with uh, with this thing. It's just great. Wow. Yeah. So I'm sitting in front of the first generation uh, roadcaster and I, I am right in the middle of watching a 30 minute video where it's comparing the first generation and the second generation. And I've been really trying to complicate, uh, contemplate whether it's worth it for me to buy the second generation. Did you use the original mm-hmm. iteration of the roadcaster pro? No, no, this is my first time. Just jump so right in. I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if it's worth to, to upgrade it. I don't know. Yeah. It seems like the it's interface, pretty expensive. It is uh, $650. Is that correct? $600? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Um, The interface is a little bit different than mine. Obviously, they made a lot of improvements. It seems like it's very easy to use and intuitive to use. And the cool thing is, once you buy a product like that, you're not on a subscription. It's a one-time fee. It's Mm -hmm. like buying your microphone. It's like, yeah, this is going to cost a little bit more up front. But once I have it, I have it. And you don't need to keep paying for it to use it as a tool. And that was my determining factor of why I should have bought the Rodecaster to begin with is it just made everything so simple. It puts everything right in front of you where I was trying to mess with, you know, mixing settings on my laptop and all the editing that you mentioned. Like (laughs) we even, we even will use the sound um, pads on the side and that's where I will live play my introduction faded out as we go and uh, and and yeah. I do that live which I I realize there's a lot of pros and cons to that but but just the fa- the factor that it made everything so easy and put everything into one place for me it was well worth the investment it sounds like it has been for you as well yeah definitely and I think uh, you know if it simplifies your workflow as well then that's definitely worth the investment because, you know, it, it just, it shaves off time of your valuable process and time is such a valuable uh, thing, you know, that you really can't spare. So all of this stuff is 
uh, that I bought, like this script as well, is all uh, created or I, I, I've tried to design my workflow as such that it is super, super simple and high quality. So high quality outcome, but super simple process to put everything in there. Should be as simple as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And should have multi-purposes. I mean, you mentioned the courses, but I know a lot of people that use their podcasting equipment for things like taking calls and making sure the quality of of the audio Mm. on the calls. That makes a bit of a difference. Do you have any opinion one way or another on that? Yeah, people can definitely do that. I try to avoid work calls like the plague (laughs) because they just suck up time and usually they are not necessary, uh, I find. So I don't really have experience with that. Uh, usually then I just use these uh, AirPods and my, my MacBook, for instance, or just a phone with Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever, because I don't really care about uh, quality for that uh, as much. You know, I try to deter people from having calls with me. <laughs> so <laughs> if, if the quality is very poor, then they might, might not be interested in having there a call. There you go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. What about your ambient environment? Um, we know that the, yeah. the, the, the environment around you can make a big difference, especially for audio quality. What things do you think about when you're deciding where to record? It looks like you're in your kitchen. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I used to record uh, up in the attic, uh, which is very uh, echoey because it's all just walls and uh, a couple of big windows and stuff. There's nothing there. I used to have, uh, before the pandemic, I used to have a little office in town and there I had an actual recording booth. So, you know, it was uh, one meter by one meter by one meter or something. And that was great. So that's all padded with, uh, uh, treated with uh, sound panels and such. And that was great. No echo at all, just perfect. But, you know, to save some money as well, I've moved everything back to the house, uh, got rid of all that stuff. And now I'm just doing it here uh, so that it's way easier also to just, you know, do interviews at night, which is usually for me the case because I talk to people uh, in the US like you, for instance. And for me, that is then at night or very early in the morning, for instance, this morning I had an Australian gentleman. Uh, and this setup in the kitchen then makes it much easier because I just turn it on. I don't have to move anything. I don't have to set up anything. I just go sit and do it. But the environment, yeah, that's <laughs> it could use some improvement. So right now I have the curtains closed, for instance. You can't see it, but they are like in front of me. So that reduces the bounce already a little bit. Uh, and the rest, yeah, it's just it is what it is. But with the Roadcaster Pro 2, uh, it does uh, de-echo as well, so it reduces that uh, that noise. And with this microphone as well, it doesn't pick up that much from the environment. Yeah. So it's not that bad. It's definitely not that bad. Plus, then when I have the MP3 or MP4, I stick it into Descript. It then does some uh, sound magic over there. And, well, I challenge you to pick up any reverb from my environment probably impossible. Yeah. It sounds really good. Uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that you weren't in a sound recording studio with all of those advanced features on yeah. your hardware, which is great. Yeah. And it sounds like Descript is taking care of all of your editing, correct? You don't need to edit with any other piece of software yeah. and that makes it no. super easy and not complicated as well. Yeah, absolutely. That makes it so easy because I used to have way more complicated flow where I use uh, Adobe uh, audition there. I do some audio treatment, uh, like, you know, uh, normalize the audio, make it a bit louder, for instance, uh, denoise it, declick it, do all that type of stuff. 
and then export it to wherever I wanted to uh, have it. And now if you have video, then I would have exported it to Camtasia, for instance, stick it with the video, synchronize it, and then do all that. That's just way too complicated. Yeah. Yeah, costs way too much time. Wow. It's not worth it. Yeah, perfect. You already mentioned a little bit about marketing, but how do you think about marketing your episodes? Yeah, that's very difficult. I've, I, I don't like it. <laughs> I really don't like it, but it's, it's part of it, you know. It, uh, so the platforms do, some, do a lot for us. Uh, so the audio platforms, for instance, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, all that stuff does a lot for us because people can just discover you uh, through those directories and some do uh, but you know you need to be visible on social media as well so i do that i'm on twitter i'm on uh, now on instagram as well i'm on tiktok even <laughs> and brave. linkedin brave. as well yeah very brave but like i said so i don't like to to come there myself because you know then you get sucked into those algorithms and you you just look at your phone all day so i just try tend not to come there i have an account i just schedule all my stuff in hootsuite and then it just goes out there um it is difficult especially when you start out so my podcast relatively new today was episode number nine i think or something and i have it scheduled up to number 14 uh but it's very difficult to start from scratch because like you also said, there are so many content creators around this topic about health and wellness. So you're basically screaming into an ocean of people that are doing the same thing. Um, so, you know, start slow and things grow organically and hope that you don't get like shadow banned by some of these platforms. Yeah. So in the beginning, for instance, I did, uh, I created a YouTube channel and I uploaded uh, my forced first four interviews and that included the interview with uh, Jane Reese Buxton about the plant-based con. I think that triggered it. And immediately after I uploaded that, the uh, whole YouTube channel got canceled, just no deleted. Wow. Yeah. I got, got an email from YouTube. They said, well, you uh, violated our uh, policies uh, and uh, now you're canceled. Wow. Like what, what's this? <laughs> this is ridiculous. So I never got a strike. I never got any warnings. So wow. after a bit of, uh, uh, you know, I, I made a bit of a fuss about it on Twitter, on my uh, also my other account, Azure Barry, which is a bit bigger now than the Improving Barry account, of course, because that exists uh, a bit longer. And I uh, uh, emailed them back. And after a while, I got back. <laughs> but that did teach me a very imp- important lesson, as in, you know, I don't own that platform. At any moment in time, they can just get rid of videos or the whole account. So you cannot rely on them for income, for instance, from advertisements, although I wasn't even planning on that, but also not for, you know, attention. Um, on Twitter, <laughs> weirdly, after that, I, uh, I'm i convinced, and I, I think it's not anymore now that uh, Elon Musk has Twitter. He just acquired Twitter. But I was a shadow banned on Twitter as well, which means that, yes, I am on Twitter, but you just don't see my tweets unless you actually search for them. So even when you go on my profile, my Twitter profile, you have the tab tweets. You don't see my latest tweets. You have to go to tweets and replies, for instance. Wow. Just little stuff like that. But, and this stuff then doesn't show up in timelines of people. And so you don't get discovered. 
And this is very <laughs> tricky. Uh, yeah, you can't really do anything about it, but, you know. So my lesson is don't rely on those platforms. Uh, own your content. So I, so with videos, for instance, yes, I do upload it to YouTube, but I make sure I have the actual video file, the produced video file. Yeah. It's on my computer. It's in the cloud. I have copies of that because if YouTube goes away, I can put it on Vimeo or, you know, some, somewhere else, yeah. my own website. I don't know. Mm. And so I use all these little things, Twitter and all that stuff. But my call to action is always go to my website, go to improvingbarry.com, not go to YouTube, not go to Spotify, because I don't own any of that. So go to my website. And from there, you can find all of the content. The rest is bonus. Yeah. And from there, I hope to add more value later on as well, through courses, perhaps through coaching, you name it. Yeah. But that's the call to action. Go to my website. Go to the website. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fantastic advice. I would think, I, I would probably think that you were exaggerating a bit if if I didn't know so many people in this world that have been banned and shut down and all of a sudden they can't have access to their Instagram. And Jane Reese Buxton wrote the book, The Great Plant-Based Con, and we interviewed her as well on our show, uh, Balanced Body Radio. Luckily, we didn't have any issues and I didn't get shut down on YouTube when we posted that video. But it's funny, like these people aren't necessarily even saying anything that's all that controversial. It's all, it's all referenced. Like the studies are there. It's just showing people what's up. It's crazy that that would be banned yes but it's against the narrative so it's against uh, the people that benefit from uh, from the opposite uh, narrative so from eating a plant-based diet from selling carbohydrate-based uh, cornflakes and cereals and stuff like that uh, and having a medical system that treats symptoms and not diseases mm. so all that type of stuff so if you then are talking about health and getting people well without uh, costly interventions. So for instance, by fasting, which is not eating, which is costs nothing, <laughs> but one of the most uh, healthful things that you can do, that's not something that they like. And unfortunately, it, I, I, I didn't believe it at first as well. Like if you asked me this three years ago, I didn't believe that there would be any censorship on any of these platforms. But I think throughout the pandemic, we've all witnessed this and we've all seen this now. There is just a lot of censorship and it's very unfortunate. So if you have uh, a message that goes into, goes against the narrative, like COVID, for instance, or health, for instance, that's just, you know, you run the risk of being banned. That's just how it is. Yeah. So therefore, you should always have your own platform as well. So your own website, yeah. there you own all your content. Yeah, I love that. I love that the advice was to be mindful of that, not necessarily to change the, what, the story that you want to tell or change the guests you want to have on. That message is still no. really important. I can tell you're very passionate about that. What are your plans for your podcast for the future? Well, I plan to continue this indefinitely. So I do weekly episodes now where I have an expert. Perhaps I can expand that by having more episodes as well, like uh, bonus content, uh, bi-weekly or by twice a week or something or something like that. I plan to write more articles as well that are all on the website. Um, and then later on, I uh, plan to uh, add more value through courses as well. I have lots of ideas for topics that I can, you know, succinctly teach to people because I think uh, there's a big need to consolidate all of this knowledge. So 
you've probably found this as well by talking to all of these experts. The messages, they all contain kind of the same messaging, you know, eat real food, for instance. Just some, and, and yes, there are variations, you know, what type of diet do you have? Uh, how do you prepare all that stuff? Uh, should it be organic or not if you eat plants? But there is some simple messaging and some simple things that people can actually do to increase their health. But it's it's so complicated, you know, as it, as there is so much. So perhaps I can help to simplify that as well in the form of courses, perhaps a book as well. Uh, and for the content that's on my website right now, uh, all of these podcast interviews are usually around an hour, sometimes a bit more, sometimes a bit less. I think that's pretty long. If you are somebody that is looking for some specific information, so I want to try and for each episode create like a little summary thing of 10, 5, 10 minutes or something. I don't know how to how yet. Perhaps I <laughs> hire an intern to do that. I don't know because that's going to be a lot of work. Um, or somehow I could automate it or something. I know there are services that can look at a bunch of text and then create a meaningful summary of it. Mm. So I'm looking into that, but that would be very helpful, I think, because then people can, for instance, uh, consume an interview like that one of uh, Stefan van Vliet in like 10 minutes or something with all the important points. Uh, because time is extremely valuable and there are less and less people that are willing to spend an hour or an hour and a half to learn something. Although I think do think that is extremely important because then you get the whole context as well. So long form is very important. But it's also important to offer the choice to people. So, you know, you can just consume this. And if you're then interested still, you can just have the whole context in video or audio form yeah. for an hour, hour and a half or something. Mm. So, I don't know. That's going to take a lot of effort. I'm not sure how to do that yet, but that's definitely something I'm planning. That's great. And I love that yet was the way you ended that sentence by saying, yeah, it's not something you're doing now. It was just like your advice earlier. Yeah. You get better at the process as you go, but you got to start with yeah. something and start start somewhere. And you might not have the answers right now, but if you keep thinking about it over time, you'll develop an idea and find the right software or the right people to help and create some yeah. really cool content. Selfishly, I am very glad that you are not planning on stopping Improving Barry. I think it's a great show and I think you're a wonderful podcast host. And I think anybody could benefit from listening to it, whether they're interested in health and fitness or just interested in podcasting. I think somebody can learn a lot by the way you interview your people, the way you craft your questions. I think you do a very good and a very thoughtful job of doing that. I've really enjoyed talking with you. I know we've gotten to have a few of these conversations, but where do you want people to go to find your podcast, Improving Barry? Uh, first of all, thank you very much for the kind words. I do really appreciate it. And I do appreciate your podcasts, plural, as well. I like that a lot. And as well, this one, especially uh, because the creating a podcast podcast also enables like young people to, you know, create a business, to get their voice out of there. And it doesn't have to be something that, that makes money, you know, but like we already discussed, it is something, if you have something to say or something to add to the world, this is an extremely good medium to do it. Yeah. People are always on their phone. People are always listening. People are always looking for content. And it's not that, that, that difficult to create it. Just do it. Just create something. Don't just be a consumer. Also create something. Add something to the world. It's so valuable. And you learn so much from it. Uh, that being said, <laughs> go to improvingberry.com. Just go there. 
And then you can find the podcast, you can find articles, you can sign up for the newsletter and more content will be added later on. That's fantastic. We will link that in the show notes. Thank you so very much for taking the time to be on our show today. We really appreciate you. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to the How to Make a Podcast podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. And check out Boundless Body Radio, our primary podcast, where we host world-renowned experts that provide tons of helpful content around health and wellness.